I swear these other podcasts are just a waste of time. I'm skipping through them. I'd rather listen and change my mind. Wes and Nick always help me through my daily grind. Your favorite guys, your favorite lines. Change my mind. I swear these other podcasts are just a waste of time. I'm skipping through them. I'd rather listen and change my mind. Wes and Nick always help me through my daily grind. Your favorite guys, your favorite lines. Change my mind. Yeah. Call me basic, fellas, but fall is without question the best time of the year. I think you changed right. my mind. Uh, okay, I will play devil's advocate here. Yes, I, I threw you for a little bit of a curve there. You did, yeah. yeah. I wasn't ready for that. I was just thinking. I was just thinking you were starting with a. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, summer is better because for your job. It's a little bit more laid back. Now, sometimes it can be more stressful. I agree. But it's more laid back, and then you can go and try and dig in deeper on whether leagues you have going on, Cape League, whatever. I don't like that we're talking. Cause I feel like I've said those exact words to you uh, like earlier this year. I don't. You never did. I just pay attention. You know yeah. I'm pretty good about that. Like yeah, the, the TV yeah. shows, right? Okay, yeah. So anyway, pay attention. Yeah. Uh, so, but then you can just relax more. You can take time off. You can mm-hmm. go out, enjoy the sun, all that crap. The autumn is nice. I would say it's a good number two. I mean, I like winter. Christmas time is fun too. And Christmas time, and, and there's a lot ice of fun. skating and all this stuff. But, but yeah, there's no better time to drink a cup of coffee, like hot or cold, than in the fall. You this know, is it's true. perfect clothing weather. I can just be in a pullover and jeans, and that's that's fine. Or like sh- like a hoodie and shorts. This is true. This yeah, is it's true. a lot of versatility to it. Yeah. The leaves changing, it's really nice. It's like perfect weather. It's just like 55, 60 degrees, perfect weather. Spring's not far off from that either, though. Yeah, but spring is like a sloppy mess. It rains it's a like lot. It's like unpredictable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, 50 degrees in the springtime is cold. Yes. And 50 degrees in the fall time is like a little bit warmer for some reason. Uh, yeah, and you know, you would think... Coming out of the winter, you would think that 50 degrees when it was cold is still... But I see, I, I view it like uh, like ocean water, right? It takes a while for the ocean water to heat up. Mm. That's, so that's my... So like a 50 degree, you know, uh, it, it yeah, takes so it's longer... Still, for, it's still yeah. a cold wind kind of that you're dealing maybe, with. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think that's got to be what it is. And that's the biggest thing in all of it, too. If we were in San Diego, I mean, it doesn't matter what time of right. year it is. Oh, yeah. Or we're in Sandals, the Bahamas. Uh, right, yeah. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter at all. However... We have seasons. The sea, that's that's one of the draws of the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Outside of winter, winter kind of dominates everything. Winter, but with all the global warming and stuff, though, winter has been. That's yeah, still a pain in the ass. It's a pain in the ass, but it, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it wasn't as much. It was more of a pain in the ass when we were kids. I feel like. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then it wasn't really affecting us. I was just having snow days. And did you, you didn't have to shovel growing up as a kid. No, I did. Yeah, I, that's what made me into the man that I am. Standing before you, sitting before you. <gasps> uh, episode 39, Change My Mind Podcast. Wesley Sykes, across the table from me, is the cousin it to my Uncle Fester, Nick uh, Fryer. You know what? I don't hate that one. It's not bad, right? I think I'm going to take Adam that Family one. in theaters now. That's right. And of course, you know, this is, we know him as our resident guy in the chair. Yes. But to many others, I mean, he, this is a man of many titles. Yes. Tim Weisberg, paranormal researcher, will be picking his brain. That's an untapped resource, as we said last week. For sure. Actually. Oh, whoops. I have the 
Well, the, the you know, normally I, I don't take offense <laughs> when you don't turn my microphone on because I'm just a, the video producer. But today I'm supposed to be the guest, man. You, you are. You're right. I, He's I don't the know talent. Why I thought yeah. you were on the third mic. And look at that. We got three screens going right now, too. This is yeah. wild. This is a regular menage a trois in the studio here. Yeah, so well, I'm I, very excited. I, I, legs I told and you guys everywhere. Be, I told you guys before that you could have guests. Yes, you know what? Just, you don't have to settle yeah, for no me. No one really likes us, though. We, we will have another guest next week, too. That's true. That's yes. a good point. Yep. So we'll have the three cameras, and Tim will get bumped out of one of them. Oh, again. that's fine by me. <laughs> so, you know. Rocking the spooky South Coast uh, search, uh, shirt, though, too, tonight, right? Yeah, that's yep. it. It's a beautiful yep. thing. Yeah, looks yeah, very sure. nice there. And, and typically, we've said before in this podcast, we're not big horror movie fans. Nope. We're not big, uh, I'm being scared and that sort of thing. Mm hmm. But this, I think, is a nice happy medium as we're coming around to Halloween, yes. um, All Hallows' Eve. We have. The paranormal extraordinaire, Tim Weisberg, in here to talk all things ghosts, ghouls, aliens, uh, big most... feet, big big foot, big thigh. Uh, what? Feet. Is foot. it big feet? Big foot. Big foots. Big foots. That sounds actually sounds so better. The paranormal community does not abide by the English language rules. No, they make their own rules. I, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. So we'll, we'll discuss all specifically as it pertains to some local um, ghost yes. stories, hauntings, places, that sort of thing. I, yeah, I, there were a couple of things that Tim's talked to me about in the past that I wanted to hear more about that I think will interest people. I know you you got like the Bermuda, the Bermuda Bridgewater Triangle is always yeah. one, but there, I love that. There yeah. are a few things that he has some. I think in general people would find it interesting. Tim Tim's got some wild stories, and I'm. Really hope I don't go home scared again tonight. Yeah, and we talk about um, people we'd like to have a drink with, you know, mm. on drinking buddies all the oh. time. I think you know Tim up against anyone. Tim wins that argument nine times out of ten. I think so. I appreciate too. that. Yeah, you got yeah. he's got a ton the of stories, good, stories. good stories there. So what, that is the thing I miss most about going to cover Patriots games is driving with Tim and hearing his stories. And you get something new every time. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But speaking of something new, we got the news and notes section. Yeah. And you informed me this the other day when we were out in Boston. Yeah, so this is, uh, we're leading off our news and notes uh, segment with the same movie that we did last week. Just different, uh, you know, we're just shifting out parts here pretty much. So yep. We have Paul Dano in, mm. uh, Jonah Hill out bye of bye. Matt Reeves' The Batman movie. Not upset about it at all. So Jonah Hill no longer attached to this movie, although I'd seen various places that it was confirmed or unconfirmed whether he was going to be involved or if it was just rumors because mm-hmm. he was attached to The Penguin and maybe even The Riddler. Ech. I think it was closer to The the Penguin. It made though. more sense. He probably, you know, he probably didn't like that. Probably didn't like the idea that he had to be the guy who's like always been known as the fat guy with a big nose. Have you ever heard um, him in a podcast before or like heard him speak? I mean, other than uh, movie, Jonah Hill? Other yeah, than movies, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, just like the actual actor, not like him playing no. a character. He has a very California bro, like, oh, man, that's tight, dude. And he talks like with a whole lot of slang and it. It was very weird. It's very off-putting, actually. Really? Yeah. And he really resented what you just said as uh, being a uh, a fat Jewish guy. He felt like he was typecast very early on in his career. And he he was, worked hard to uh, shed that label and the weight. Yeah, I give him credit for shedding the weight. That's fine. He's like kind of ripped it. now. Yeah, it's weird to me. His head just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. Well, it's like Dave Chappelle sort of thing. I was like tough uh, to get used to. Uh, but the uh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano is who is not ripped. You and you, I just didn't recognize him right away. Yeah. But once you said prisoners, oh man, this guy's a good actor. Yeah, prisoners. There will be blood. Twelve years a slave. The guy can act his pants off. Yes, He's sir. in as the Riddler. Um, 
really powerhouse actor. I love that. For someone who, you know, my really, He'll be a good my Riddler. only real introduction to uh, the Riddler is Jim Carrey's yeah. spandex-laden performance. You never saw him in Batman the Animated Series? Yeah, yes and no, but I think that's, like, when I think of the Riddler and Batman, I think... Unfortunately, of Jim Carrey. No, but that's that's understandable. I mean, he's he's become less and less of a significant character through the years, just because mm-hmm. the way Batman has changed and he takes on bigger enemies as opposed to being the detective. But now that he's going to be more detective, e you know, going back to his roots in this, it makes sense to have the Riddler. But. Right. Yeah. And you know, this role, un, kind of unlike Robert Pattinson, you know, it took me some time to picture Robert Pattinson kind of come around to the idea as as Batman. Mm. Paul Dano, right off the bat. The yep. Riddler done looks the part, fits the part. You know, it just feels like it's such yes. a slam dunk. Yes, very good casting on this. Yeah. That we've seen that's huge in the MCU, and it's going to make a difference here too. Absolutely. So joining uh, Paul Dano as Robert Pattinson, as we mentioned, as Batman or or Bruce Wayne, Wayne, whatever you like. <laughs> mm. uh, Jeffrey Wright as uh, Jim Gordon, <laughs> and Zoe Kravitz as uh, Selena Kyle and or Batwoman. Tim, what Catwoman. is what is Riddler's actual name? I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Edward Enigma. Enigma. Edward Enigma. Enigma. Yes. Yeah. Enigma. Yeah, yes. Enigma. Yeah. Yes. Can you play? Can or, he? Or Ed Enigma still works right. too. Yeah. Can, so can do we think Paul Dano can play? He can play the Riddler, but can he play? Yeah. Good what's Edward, his Edward Enigma? Yeah, I think anybody, I think yeah. anybody can. I, I, I think with the villains, they're. <laughs> what is he taking this seriously right now? <laughs> their real life version is no, but that's that's like one of the one of the great things about Batman Returns was you got the sympathy for for Danny DeVito's Penguin. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw his that's backstory. True, yeah. So, and I think that that's been something that's been a hallmark of the Batman villains is you kind of know their backstory. I mean, people felt bad for Bane. Yep. You know, so you need some of that aspect of it. You have to have, you can't just be a straight out bad guy through the whole movie. Unless you're Joker. That's the only one who's ever been able to get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'd want to incorporate Joker's backstory into a Batman movie. I think they. I mean, they did in the '89 Batman, mm-hmm. but I don't think I would want that. And, and right. you know, I'm, I don't really. I'm saying don't, he's the one guy you can get away with that with. I really don't. Fletcher. I don't want backstories anymore either. Stop it. Yeah. Every yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we get it. That's yeah. what the books are for. Exactly. If it's well, yeah. Some of us don't read the book. Well, but no, but I get the cliff notes though. Yeah, you know, the, I get the highlights. You get the cliff notes. Yeah. Anyway, and if you're going to see those kind of movies, generally speaking, you already have an idea, like you said. Right. Cliff notes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Silicon Valley season six trailer came out. That that new season. Uh, uh, the final season of Silicon Valley starts this weekend, you October twenty seventh at ten p.m. on HBO. Yes, I do. I've seen every episode. Really? Yeah, very you, funny. And you watch it, Tim? I do. Okay. I don't. I, I've never watched an episode of it in my life. Have you heard of it? You, you give oh, me your perplexed look. Yeah. I just didn't. I thought you had said you watched it, and I couldn't remember for sure if you had or oh, not. Oh no, I'm a big fan. So the only, the only problem is it's like the same storyline now. Even from this uh, trailer that came out for season six, it's like. Yeah, they the gang screws up and they have to write the internet and kind of face their flaws, all while possibly getting a billion dollar offer for someone to buy their uh, their company. But they may be a little bit shady and they spend the whole season trying to figure it out. And then ultimately they say, you know what, we're gonna invest in ourselves, <laughs> and, th- and that's pretty much how it goes. But it's like I love the group, the whole the whole cast is great, even without T.J. Miller. Yeah, T.J. Miller. Um, he was pretty ancillary anyway. Yeah, but I thought he he was kind of like a big heat check type of guy. Like he'd come in and just like really take over a scene right away, mm-hmm. and then um, it, it kind of softened up a little later as the seasons progressed. It, it, you had just more Gilfoyle. 
That's, yeah. His loss means more Guilfoyle, which is perfect. And um, who's the Asian guy? Oh, the wow. Asian Wang. roommate I really love too. Is it, yeah. is it Wang or yeah, Yang? I, I Wang? forget, but that's that's yeah. Gavin Belson, I really enjoy like him, mm-hmm. like getting more hey, of him. Guys, now. I hate to interrupt. Are we seeing a new trailer for Star Wars right now happening in front of us? Oh, probably yeah. Because that's definitely Star Wars, it's and I don't probably halftime at the uh, Monday Night Football game. So yeah, and that's doing not, something. That's not footage I've ever seen before. I don't know if you want to see it right now, Wes. Yeah, in I the mean, course we'll of it. see it right now. I mean, what are we supposed to do? I don't know, but it's, I turn the camera to it, but that's copyright violation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm just, I just wanted to make sure you see it. It's uh, we saw a little bit of Kylo. We saw a throne that they're trying to sit at. C-3PO does not have his red eyes. He's talking to Ray about something, lecturing her. Oh yeah. Typical C-3PO. And uh, looks like we have there's some yeah the, I don't know stormtroopers getting shot. It was a touching moment between Princess Leia and Rey. Our play-by-play skills are are not that bad, I will say. Yeah, I got the oh you, you kind of have that moment there with um, Lando and Chewie. Yeah, yes. was it was that Lando? That was Lando. Yes. Oh, I thought that was oh, um, Finn. That was the right before that was Finn. Yes. Okay. Yes, two separate things. Whoa. What was that? What was that? You get Kylo Ren and and Rey. Uh, like Rey, are they teaming up, up there? What is going on? Wow. I'm assuming that was Snoke she was standing over. I thought he was supposed Maybe. to be. I don't know. Okay, well, were we going to get more of Ray with the red double lightsaber? Because I'd like that, please. Maybe that Very was much. just a dream sequence, that, that first one. That could be. Oh, God, I would hate that if they Sopranos the, the Star Wars trailer. <laughs> oh, it that was, was all fun. a dream. So that, that was breaking news in the news segment. I don't think we could have uh, worked that up any better. That worked out well. That was fantastic. Yes. I'm uh, very excited for The Rise of Skywalker. Also excited, moderately excited, for Silicon Valley Season 6. <laughs> not, not as excited as Star, for, you, or for Star Wars after no, seeing that. No, no, no. Not, no. It's it's like two Star different Wars, things. Silicon, Star Wars, Silicon Valley. No, yeah. No, uh, yeah. no, no. no. Uh, another show that, that uh, apparently awesome. premiered last night on Sunday uh, was Watchmen on HBO. Did not catch this. Didn't catch it either. Did you? I, did, I, I recorded it. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I think I will go back and watch so, it. So, yeah, when I go uh, get through with this tonight, I'll be going back and watching that. IMDb gave the first episode a 5.9 out of 10, while uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it certified fresh at 93%. I don't um, trust that 93%. Yeah, I know. I get. I feel you on that. I'm just throwing it out there so people can take it how they, uh, how yeah, they not, will. Not questioning you. I'm questioning them. Right. You're right to share it, but the, I, I obviously trust IMDb. Yeah, I'm, I'm just spotty. Yeah, I'm just spotty. I'm Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Daily Beast called it a, quote, spectacular assault on white supremacy. So there's that. <sighs> okay. Didn't see the that. The Atlantic said it was timely. Okay. While Vox called it the show of the year, for better or for worse. What, what is that? I don't know what that what means. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> so, just say nothing right there. Part of that is just because it's the new HBO show. Right. So they all want to have to look like they're ahead of the curve and say and how awesome it is. Damon Lindelof. Right. So it's, it's there's a lot of uh, weight that's kind of carried but, with But most show. HBO shows are not huge hits after the first episode. Right. I yeah. don't remember there being huge buzz about uh, Westworld after the first episode or even Game of Thrones. Right. So... Mm-hmm. I think some of this is kind of like, well, let's just take a chance and say it's let's awesome right now. Because right. we can always say it fell off yeah. after the first couple episodes if we want to do that. Very true. Here's my other thing with this. When I see that, and this is why Rotten, one of the reasons why Rotten Tomatoes sucks. When I go and look at a movie, uh, when I look at reviews, I, you know, if you're going to be really critical and in-depth and you're going to give me a rating, I want you to take into account like the, the quality of everything, not just the timeliness of it. Yes, that's important, but I think when I see the 93% and then below it, your note of spectacular assault on white percent, white supremacy, 
I mean, this move, this show would probably have been a seventy-eight if it wasn't for that. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet that. Yeah. I, this so episode. I didn't really read. I, I kind of stayed away from spoilers and everything because I kind of wanted to consume the show. I know you? it's a little off-brand for me. Wow. I was trying a little something different. Of all the things that you do, of the Watchmen show. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just wanted to consume it with a fresh and open mind. You cool. know, this is uh, married Wes coming through uh, as a turning over a new leaf now. That's as what a, it is. My married life. <laughs> um, I think that that was. I, how many times can I use that? Actually, that was a pretty good excuse. For me, you can use it as often. So what he means to say is his wife didn't want any spoilers. Yes, and she was right. afraid he would. No, say she's something. not watching this show. There's no way. It's, it's too heavy but for it's, her. It's an HBO show. No, she doesn't like uh, you know shows that make you think a lot. She just kind of wants like mindless, numbing TV, just to kind of like shut off. Wow, like so keeping up with the Kardashians. Yeah, exactly. Or like The Office for like the yeah. 800th time. Or Parks and Rec. Right, exactly. Which is outstanding. Um, so, yeah, so I think that just about does it, unless there was any other news nope. that you wanted to bring up. Uh, just for the comic book minute, so yeah. a little bit of news here. Geeks Worldwide, which you guys know I uh, by now, I review comics for them. <laughs> they We have not – I've written some reviews of Marvel Comics in the past, but we were not like an official reviewer for them. We are now, so we'll be having stuff coming out Wednesday. We'll be get, we'll be sharing all that with you guys, and that'll help me with the comic book minute, so right. I'll know – Every time what's going out uh, each week because sometimes Marvel's a pain in the ass about that. But DC doesn't share things publicly all the time, I always either. So yeah, so that's a bit of news and that's pretty big for the congratulations site. GWW. Yes, that's pretty awesome. So I'm excited to be catching up on some more Marvel things that I might have not normally read before because I didn't want to spend the money. Now, is, listen, you know I got love for Geeks Worldwide. Mm. Hard to call yourself Geeks Worldwide when you're cutting out half of the comic book world. I, I don't think it was a, d- a decision of not wanting no, to do I, it. I'm yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, no, no. Oh, it's fine. It's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still was, funny. Yeah, a little play on words. That's there. pretty good, crusty, right? Was that crusty? Is that no, what you're going for? Crusty, I don't know. It just it sounded it was like crusty. It was just a, su- a Nick, surprising if, like bit of offense there that you took. Me? Oh no, no, I wasn't. A f- no, I'm you not. Took that a little. It seemed like you took that a little harder than. No, it was, yeah, it wasn't. It didn't mean anything. By yeah, it. I really, you know, it really crushed me. I'm really like. But if up there's about one now. thing that I've learned about about you, Nick, in these I don't know six months or so that we've done the podcast, is that impressions aren't really your thing. You know, I love you, but you know, you know, like I'm not oh, sure if impressions oh, no. are your God, thing. God, no, I'm terrible yeah. at That's, it. It's terrible at right. it. No, I'm awful. That's next week's episode. When I did mm. it, when I when I laughed, it sounded like crusty in my head, but I was like, nah. nah. I mean, I can see how you get there, but it wasn't. Yeah, I think it was a, a half cocked. Oh, uh, terrible. Yeah. I can do a weird, uh, a, my own rendition of the Joker laugh, and I can right. do a halfway decent Batman. That's about it. About, about Bane, can you just complete the Batman family? I'd have to practice that. Well, you, maybe maybe you drop it. Maybe you pepper it in. I if I do anything, it'd be that you, you think the darkness is your ally, and I, I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah, I can't. I, I think the line. I was born in the darkness. <laughs> Raised by it. You have to like. <laughs> yeah, I can't. think darkness is your ally. It was there. Was, it was a big turning point in my life when I finally realized that I can't do impressions <laughs> and just like just accepted the fact I that still I can't. Try. I can yeah. still do Batman though. Where's Rachel? It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. See, I, I, I always than- <laughs> I always like to do impressions, and I like <laughs> to think that I can. But the only time I ever really shine is doing impressions of like people that I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it doesn't translate. Right. Unless you're with those people. I'll do dead-on impressions of people that I actually know, mm-hmm. but then I'll try and do it for somebody else, and like I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. Brendan's an easy guy to do impressions of. Well, well. <laughs> I think I've done that impression a few yeah. times. Yeah. 
We'll get to see that in action next week on our candy episode. Yes, looking forward to that very much. Uh, we also got <laughs> drinking. <laughs> you said your your bad impressions. Like, wait, what's he talking about? <laughs> so true, though. I suck at him. Um, I mean that with the utmost respect. Yeah, behind it. Oh, I appreciate that. I don't deserve that. Um, but anyways, uh, drinking buddies. Right. Yes. So um, we got two old dudes for this one. We ha- Both of them got to have good stories, but Wes raised a good point when we were talking about this beforehand. I'll let you yeah. weigh in on that. It's a um, tough choice. I still haven't decided. This is, this is a tough one. I don't know if Tim has seen the... Have you seen who I have for the panel no. yet? Okay. J. Jonah Jameson, obviously of Spider-Man and Marvel fame, mm-hmm. and James Gordon, Jim Gordon, Detective Gordon, Commissioner Gordon, whatever, from Batman and DC Comics lore. Do you know off the top who you'd want? Because he does. Am, am he I am I getting the J.K. Simmons? Yeah, I would, that's how I'm imagining. Yeah, uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Then no question. That's who I'm going with. You're going with him. Sure. See, I think he's kind of a scumbag, though. That's okay. I'm Very not sure. I'm not sure if he's paying the bill for you. He's definitely not. He's Jim Gordon. He's on a police commissioner's salary. Yeah, but I don't know. I'd be. I think I'd be more willing to split the bill with Jim Gordon than J. Jonah Jameson. He'd be, he'd be. He might pay for you, Jim Gordon. He's a good dude. He's respectable. Right, but I would feel bad taking his money. He's a public servant. Yeah, that's fair. That's, don't, He's don't, a high. Oh, we're, we're a bunch. Of, we're a bunch of high rollers here too, Tim. So, well, I'm assuming that if I'm in the mm. world of Gotham, I can mm. have whatever. Yes. You know. Yes, I understand. I understand. Profession that I wish to have. Oh. Oh, okay. What would that be? Uh, I would probably be Max Shrek from Batman Returns. I'd be the uh, slightly evil department store owner. Okay. Played by Christopher Walken. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that Christopher Walken? Because why not? What else am I going to do? Right. Yeah. What am I going to be? The guy that was supposed to be Robin? No that's a, that's a guy who I could never do as Christopher Walken. I couldn't do an impression of him. No, I wouldn't no, even no. try. That's that one. I used to do one. I don't know if it's any good anymore. I used to be able to do one too. There's there's a good line from, uh, um, oh Joe Dirt, where he's like talking to a fire extinguisher. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 you're talking to my guy all wrong here. <laughs> You say that you say that to him one more time. I'm gonna stab you in the face in the soldering iron. <laughs> you know? He was great in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, he's, whoa, 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 you're talking to my guy all wrong here. <laughs> that's perfect. Um, but anyway, it's, it's it's not an impression. I can just like repeat it's the still, line. It's a funny line. But, you yeah. know. Uh, I that, think well, you were not trying James to Gordon. You were not trying to do the impression there, were you? No, oh. you know, whatever. <laughs> if it was, it, it comes out the same if I was trying or not. Fair enough. You know, but you're matter. going with James. Yeah, going James Gordon. Blue collar guy, you know, respect the police. Maybe I'd buy him a drink. I'd feel more comfortable buying him a drink than J. Mm. Jonah Jameson. They're going to take advantage of you. I feel like J. Jonah Jameson, kind of a, a prick. Yeah, oh, definitely. I'm oh, not sure if I just want to hang around that. Yeah. Like, I, hear, like, all those smug stories and just assume that like, he's full of shit all the time. There are definitely going to be stories I'm not going to buy with him. Right. I don't know how many Gordon is going to tell me, but if you can get a few out of him, it'll be worth your time. He's a good dude, and I just, you know, you talk about paying and stuff like that. This is the one instance where maybe neither of them are going to pay for you. Right. But Jameson will take advantage of it, too. Better better friend to have, though. How about that? The police commissioner or the publisher of a major tabloid. Oh, wow. Mm. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. That's now, a really now, again, question. if we're going off of what we would be doing, if I was a high-profile celebrity type, high-ranking person in Gotham, 
I may want the the tabloid publisher in my back pocket. You may want that. I think there's a very good chance you want that. But it's just a regular blue collar guy getting a get out of jail free card from that, Jim Gordon. You know, that's pretty good. If you're a blue collar and you grew up in Gotham, you're probably troubled. Right. I would say that's. Yeah. But is Jim Gordon of unimpeachable integrity? Oh, because if he was, then he wouldn't be giving you the get-out-of-jail-free right. card. That's true. Well, it's not like I'm going to go out and commit murder. It's like maybe yeah, I got like, stopped with having a few too many drinks or something something like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or, you know, the texting I, while driving. That's a good point. I remember watching the uh, Batman Begins and thinking that that Jim Gordon was going to be corrupt. Really? Cause just because it was Gary Oldman, like I usually expect. He's a great actor. I expect the worst from Gary Oldman. Right. Usually, um, I can never tell Gary Oldman. I feel like he just puts like puts on one of the Mission Impossible masks every time. Like I, I can never amazing. tell. It's He's him. amazing like that. He's uh, him, him and yeah. uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. are both uh, amazing yeah. in that way. Because he's serious black, and then he was. He was serious black. Oh wow! I didn't even know that. See. Yeah. yeah. Gary Oldman is serious black. Wild. Yeah. So Isn't wild. he the villain on um, Air Force One? Gary Oldman? Might be. Might have been. I don't remember. He, I, he was a villain in a lot of 90s movies. Yeah, I thought so. I'm trying to pull it up right now. Uh, Air Force. Yeah, that's... A, it's, it's it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Is Gary Oldman also in like the remake of the Planet of the Apes? Uh, Could have been. Is he? I think so. I think he was in the last one. That, I didn't know that one either. The the, la- the last one with um Don of the Planet of the Apes or oh no, I'm just trying to blank uh, Mark Wahlberg see. one no, Harrison, no, no yeah no. Gary Oldman Air Force One thank you very much wow make good. it two for two give give me uh give me Planet of the Apes on here Dawn of the Planet of the Apes yeah so you oh, you're talking the new Planet of the Apes not the, the Tim newest, Burton one the last one the of the newest series oh, okay was have they been War of the Planet none of, of them the have Apes? actually been Planet of the Apes yet though right. He is it's, in it. He is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I'm Dawn. looking at it right now. But you went three for three. That's it. Look Give at it to you. me, baby. Good played. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week. We'll be right back. <laughs> no, right, now, uh, right now, Gary Oldman's changing the locks on his doors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I believe he also had ham, a ham and cheese sandwich for lunch today. <laughs> um, I think it's time. Oh. Sorry. No, I think you took the words, yep. please. I think it's time for us to finally hear a little bit about what Tim is, Tim does with all his paranormal uh, investigating and research and everything. And I know I I don't like the idea of us doing this at night because you know how he tells a story and it will scare the crap out of me. Well, and if we're going to be talking about the Bridgewater Triangle, I believe we brought this up on the program before. You have to drive home through parts of it, I believe. Do I? I go to Fall River. We're, we're all in the Bridgewater Triangle right now. This, are at we? At least by the way I define it. Some of the definitions of the Bridgewater Triangle are a little different than mine. Okay. Uh, some of them have it being a much tighter triangle and a little bit further north of here. But no, this this whole area is part of the triangle, and it just keeps expanding. It's alive. It's breathing. What? It grows. The more that we pay attention to it, the more it uh, it reaches out its tentacles. So. Can it oh, I love that. Shrink too, or no? Well, I think we're past that point where it could. Nick's problem is, but there's there's theories as to how we can solve the Bridgewater Triangle, which we can get into. Yeah, I, but I think I have one of them. What what Nick's referring to is uh, when I told him the story of the redheaded hitchhiker. Oh, that's what it 44. was. Yes, yeah. And now he can forever not go down 
Route 44 <coughs> to the Seekonk Rehoboth line. So. Appreciate you reminding me of that story. Oh, I'm going to tell that story again because I, I saw some of the things you guys want to talk about, and, and I'm going to make sure I work that in. God. Oh, nice. So for those who may not know, Freaking awful. Like I this said, is a he's terrible not idea. Ju- <laughs> he is not just our resident guy in the chair, which he is fantastic at. Uh, Tim is the creator and host and executive producer of Spooky South Coast, the fantastic T-shirt he's wearing. Uh, he's worked on. Now I, I took this off a website, so correct me if I'm wrong here on any of these. Uh, you've worked on various TV shows, Haunted Towns, Ghost mm-hmm. Adventures. Mm-hmm. No, Most- I was. I appeared on Ghost Adventures. Okay. Yeah, in some capacity. Okay. You've, you've been on uh, Ghost Adventures, Most Terrifying Places in America, Monster Quest, My Ghost Story. Uh, the lowest rated episode ever of Monster Quest, I'll have you know. Oh, thank you very much. I'm very proud of that fact. Well, it's because it was a show about monsters, and I was on the one episode they did on ghosts. Okay, so, so the yeah, people who, exactly Yeah, the people who are profile. fans of it, they were like, man, we don't care about ghosts. Oh, that's so. super niche cheese. But yeah, uh, but if you think <laughs> if you're just into uh, paranormal stuff, that would still leave you hooked. But anyway. There's some crossover. At that time when that episode aired, there was not crossover. Okay. So. Not so much there. Con- conversations with a serial killer. Oh. Sounds great. Yeah, Ghost that was Asylums. strange. Ghost Stalkers. Mm-hmm. He's even authored the book, Ghost of the South Coast. I did. Ghost. Thanks, thanks for being here today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, thanks guys for having me. Yeah. It's, uh, not like I had to let you guys in. Right. Or exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Conversation uh, so, with a serial, serial killer. So, so this this is a show that was on in the UK. Oh. And it was we got um, we got contacted. This is I think two thousand seven or eight or nine or something. Uh, you'll like you'll like the story. We got con- we got contacted Which means by I this. Won't. I'll be terrified. No, 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 well, no, no. It's not. Oh, okay, not okay. the ghost part of it. Uh, I'm scared. Okay. Um, so we got contacted by this production company. They said we're doing this new show, and the show is about it's a British woman presenter and an American male medium, and the two of them are going on the trail of serial killers and trying to communicate with their spirits. Oh, okay. Well, we want you to be idea. in the episode about the Boston Strangler. And I said, all right, that, that sounds fine. So, you know, we got the whole spooky crew involved and our friends Jeff Belanger and Chris Balzano. We got them involved. Like the, a whole bunch of us were going to be in this episode. And actually, you hear people talking about these things called ghost boxes or Frank's boxes or spirit boxes. This was the first time anybody had ever used one of those on TV because Matt Costa had just made one for us. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, what are we going to bring on this show? I don't know. Bring that thing. We'll try it out. And uh, and. They fell in love with it. Like we were supposed to just use it for a few minutes, and they what, used it for the whole segment. What is it? It's a broken radio, and what it does is, you know how when you hit the seek button mm-hmm. on your car radio, it just keeps going until it gets a strong signal, then it stops. That's because it has something called a mute pin, and what these radios do is they remove the mute pin so that it just keeps sweeping, and it doesn't stop sweeping through the radio waves. And the idea is that spirits grab the words that they want to use out of the radio broadcast to communicate. Oh. It was invented by a guy named Frank Sumption who thinks that we're all crazy for using them to talk to ghosts. He thinks that that's the most ridiculous thing he's ever heard of because he built them to talk to aliens. And the, the, uh, right, of the, course. The aliens would tell him that they saw him as their beautiful purple princess and they would talk about the size of his breasts and all that kind of stuff. But anyway. Oh, wow. So How were his breasts? Uh, well, they were supple? non-existent Ample? as a male. Voluptuous was the word that the aliens used. Oh wow! <laughs> so the, the aliens have vast vocabulary, vocabulary yeah. on the aliens. There, good, nice so, grasp of the English language. Unbelievable. But anyway, <laughs> we tried this thing out and we used it and everything. But the funny part of the story that I think Nick will like is uh, 
the only place that we could get to that had a tie to the Boston Strangler was one of the apartments. I don't remember if it's where one of his victims lived or where he killed one of his victims. But either way, it was now a BU, like, kind of like a dorm. Oh, get out. <laughs> like <a laughs> upperclassman housing. And it's, you know, right by Fenway. Oh, no kidding. So we go I'll to... I probably park near it then all the time. Well, we go to film this damn thing right at the same time that there's a Red Sox game. Oh, and so we're going, there's a falafel place across the street. So we're all running across the street to get some food because we're starving. And, you know, you thought if you're doing a TV production, they'd bring some catering, but they didn't. No. So no. we're all, all of us are running back and forth from the house to the falafel place to get our food and then to go back and film and then go wait to see if our food's ready. And the sound guy who was from England, uh, he goes to come back from the falafel place over to the apartment and he gets hit by an SUV. What? <laughs> this what? SUV just like nails him as he's trying to cross the street. And he's okay. Like we pick him up and he, like he's all right. We dust him off. Guy gets out of the thing and he goes, "What are you doing?" And and the guy's like, "Oh, very sorry. Uh, I was crossing the street here." He goes, "Get out of goddamn road. I'm trying to get to the Sox game." <laughs> it's so on brand. <laughs> and I was like, "Sorry, but that's, you know, that's what every asshole driver is like." Yes. Yeah. Trying to get to the Sox game, yes. Speaking of mass holes, yeah. I, I want to hear about your Bridge Product Triangle questions. Well, yes, before we do Bridge that, Wada. I think we'll get into some local things later. Okay. Uh, let's let's talk generics before we get into specifics here, right? Okay. So what do you say to... Well, how long have you been doing uh, paranormal research? Well, we started the show in 2006. Um, you know, we started doing research for it, putting it together in 2005, but the, we went on the air in 2006 and we weren't going to be paranormal investigators. Matt mm -hmm. Costa and I were just going to sit in here and talk to investigators and learn from them. And uh, we brought in our friend Matt Moniz. He, he he was a guy that we knew, but we didn't really know that he had done this stuff. And uh, and he volunteered to help us out. And once we brought him in, he made us go out and investigate. So huh. I think I started doing my first investigations, I want to say, like maybe like April of 2006. Now, so, did you believe in ghosts before this? I did. I'd had before experiences uh, yeah. as a kid, and I knew that there was something to it, but I needed to have proof to know for sure. Okay. Makes so sense. So that was kind of like what I was looking for, and now I've had it proved to me you know, a thousand times over, so now I see my job yeah. as helping other people you know, have the experience to prove it to themselves. Okay, so that's perfect. So if someone doesn't believe in ghosts, come up to you and say, convince me otherwise... You I, would say I can't. Yeah, you know that's that's your own decision to make. That's your own journey to make. What I can do is I can try to put you in the best situation possible for you to have an experience. It's up to you if you want to believe that experience. There's been many people that I've investigated right alongside that we've had <laughs> profound paranormal experiences, and they've walked away saying, you know, eh, I'm still not convinced. Mm. You know, I'm still not sure. We weren't just thinking that it was more than it was, and you really can't. I used to think when I started doing this that I was going to be the one person that would find the the one piece of evidence that would prove to the world that ghosts are real, and and I realized that it's 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 not only is it not going to happen, but it's not my job to do that. Like it's the individual, right? It's yeah. it's more about just doing good research and making sure that people who want to come along for the ride can do it in a way where they can appreciate the process and, and appreciate what it is that we do. I can never convince everybody that what I do is legitimate, that there's real ghosts out there to find. But what I can convince them of is that the pursuit that I'm taking to do it is legitimate. Okay. You know, that's that's where okay. that's where I try to, to, to 
be an advocate to say, listen, we're not just a bunch of weirdos running around in the dark wasting our time. Now, is there any way to be more receptive to making contact with Ooh. paranormal Oh, you could kill beings. yourself. That's a good I mean, Okay, that's well, that's one okay, way. No, I wouldn't me. recommend it. No, no, can uh, you spell sorry, that out for did me? Did you say that again? That? Yeah, let me write this down real quick. <laughs> did I hear him correctly? Well, yes. you could become a ghost. Okay. That's the best way. No, so the the, the best way in my Walk opinion. Walk a mile in their shoes. Mm, right. yeah. yeah. The only problem is it's irreversible. So right. Until we yeah, figure that, that part out. Uh, the, uh, uh, the one thing that I think is um, the most important thing is to... Uh, you have to be open to the idea. Mm-hmm. If you go into it being closed-minded, and I'm not talking metaphysical, like if you walk in there with a closed mind, the spirits are going to know they're not going to interact with you. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying if you go into it with a closed mind, you're not going to be willing to go down the path that maybe what's happening is paranormal. So isn't there an argument to be made that all of this is kind of like a placebo effect? There is, absolutely. Uh, and what's funny about it is... I actually think the placebo effect idea is probably the more accurate definition of what a ghost is. And it's actually what I would prefer it to be. See, I don't think necessarily that ghosts are dead people. Mm -hmm. I think that ghosts could theoretically be something that we're creating with our own minds. And so what happens is when we go on these paranormal investigations, it's not a ghost that's manipulating our devices or or growling at us audibly or scratching people. It's something that we're doing with our own minds because we're trying to basically create this ghost. And I would much rather think that that's what we're doing. That'd be really cool if you could do that. I always say in my lectures, this is this is the line that I use. That's like that's some Jedi mind trick stuff there. Yeah, yeah. And I would much well, if you rather only use five percent of your brain or whatever it is. I mean, right. I, it could be conceivable. Yeah, I, I would much that. rather think that I can stand right here and I can make that TV remote come to my hand without having to get up than to think that my dead grandmother watches me while I'm taking a shower. Yes. So <laughs> I would much rather prefer the weird pull. <laughs> right. Okay. He usually gets a good laugh in, in, yeah. in the lectures. <laughs> so <laughs> on on the, that note, then why are there ghosts? What's the, their purpose then? In that in in that regard, if we're looking at it from that definition, it's just something that we're doing with our minds. Mm-hmm. So it's not there is no real why. It's just a matter of what and and figuring out how. So when you like you know I've I've heard of stories of ghosts that are haunting houses or whatever unfinished business or they've they've been murdered there or they're like pulling events. pranks even so like in those instances where they're like I don't know a painting's upside down or something like that I'm just using that as, as an example how would that be an example of my mind doing something to play a trick on I, I, you know what I, I mean? don't think that it has to explain that it being your mind has to explain all paranormal activity I just like to think that that would be what a majority of what it is that we experience okay hmm. uh, accidental activity that happens like that usually um, a lot of times it can be pointed to poltergeist activity which poltergeist activity people make the assumption that it's a ghost and usually is pol- poltergeist is usually being caused by a human being uh, what usually there's what they call the poltergeist hmm. agent who is the usually a, a, like a prepubescent girl, um, but you it, it'll be there'll be a, a child normally that's having a problem with one of the adults in the house, and the activity will center around one of those adults. So the mother might be fighting with the prepubescent daughter all the time, and they're not getting along. And every time the mother is home alone, you know, with the daughter, weird stuff happens, and the mother thinks that there's a ghost that's targeting her, but in actuality, it's it's telekinetic activity. It's uh, psi activity that the daughter is unaware that she's doing. Hmm. Uh, but some of us, there are s- 
something to be said for what they call intelligent spirits, that there are actual ghosts out there that you can interact with, and it's just energy. It's just energy that's being recorded. You know, the second law of thermodynamics is that energy can't be created or destroyed. It can only be changed. So the energy that makes us up when we die, it doesn't die. It goes off and forms bonds with other energies. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, sometimes it will retain who we are and retain that essence of us. And uh, usually, especially around this area, people will say, oh, I think I have a haunted house. The first question I'm going to ask them is, well, what's your basement like? Like, what do you mean? Like, what's the foundation of your home? Is it fieldstone if it's an older house? Is it granite if it's a newer house? Chances are it's one of those two living in New England. So both of those are rich in quartz. Quartz is piezoelectric, which means it records and amplifies energy, which it's something that's called the stone tape theory. So all the energy that's being expended in that house is being recorded within its foundation, within its walls. And the quartz that's in there, the same way we use quartz and computers and wristwatches and everything, it's just recording that energy. And then there's certain environmental factors that allow us to go in there and have a playback. Playback. Oh, my God. That's wild. Yeah. That's why when people are, are, are freaked out by this stuff, I'm like, well, just give it a chance because... If you really get into the nuts and bolts of why we think that it's happening, that makes it's, sense. Not, it's not scary. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, it's just this wild stuff that we just haven't figured out yet. Now, so when you, would say, when you were kind of talking about the, uh, the poltergeist and that kind of kinetic energy kind of playing off one another, is that a reason why people say uh, children are more receptive to paranormal activity? Partially. I think it's more because children don't have the filter that adults have. What happens is we're all born kind of able to perceive this stuff. And Makes what sense. happens is we get freaked out by it because we're trying to go to bed and we're seeing the shadow figure at the foot of the bed and it freaks us out and we scream and we cry for mom or dad and they come in and tell you there's no such thing as ghosts. And if they keep telling you that enough, eventually your mind is just going to take over and say, well, that's it can't be real what I'm seeing, so there's another explanation for it, so just ignore it and go to bed. Mm-hmm. And the more that you train yourself to, to believe that it's not real the further away you get from being able to perceive it naturally. So I know lots of people who are raising their kids, and they won't tell them that ghosts aren't real. They'll tell them it's it's real, it's perfectly natural, they're not here to bother you, they're just passing through. It's no different than you know if you were sleeping next to a window and people were walking outside, just ignore them. And so those kids, y- you find that as they get older, they have less problems perceiving the paranormal. Hmm. And they're more receptive. Is they're that, that's they're more receptive, yeah. and they're more... Um, I don't want to say psychic about it, you know, but a lot of people who are mediums, that's that's what it is, is they have this. I think everybody has the ability to communicate with ghosts or Mm -hmm. whatever ghosts may be. But we get that block built up that if you can remove that block or if you have such a powerful connection to it, that block can't be built up. That wall can't be built up high enough. Then you can keep utilizing that again and again. And like I'm I always say I'm psychic as a brick. Mm-hmm. But now I've had to change that and say I'm psychic as a sponge because I've realized that as I go to more and more of these places, I can feel when there's something around. Mm-hmm. I, I would never say that I could sit there and talk to a spirit, communicate, you know, and visualize them in my head and all that stuff. But I can just walk into a place and say, oh, oh, yeah, no, there's definitely something here. I think something's going to happen tonight because you'd be, you know, the same way like uh, a mechanic can smell what's coming out of the back end of a car and tell you what's wrong with it. You know, right. yeah. you just you get that sixth sense about it. So for when, lack of a better term. You, when you talk about 
like where I'm a little confused with how you mentioned before how we they are manifestations of something that some, we bring. Some of them are. So some of them are manifestations of what we bring, and then there you think that the other things are, the other spirits are the our energy that never that leaves our body once we mm-hmm. pass away. That's what you think the two are, and then there's the poltergeist thing, which is right, kind of more along the lines of the first thing. Right. So it's all energy, no matter what. Okay. It's just some of it is energy that we are manipulating. Have you tried to figure out how to like how people can manipulate the energy? Because yes. like, that would be something pretty outstanding. So in the 1970s, there was a group called the Toronto Society for Psychical Research, and they did this experiment that they called the Philip experiment. And what they did is they got a cross-section of uh, society. They got like a housewife, a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor. They put them all into a room, and they said, we're going to create a character. That never existed. And they named him Philip, and he was a 15th century English nobleman, and he was in love with a woman he couldn't have, and he killed himself and all this stuff. They created this whole backstory for this character that never existed. And then they conducted a series of seances in which they uh, communicated with Philip. And they were actually getting verified answers to the questions they were asking based on the history that they Hmm. How were they using like a Ouija board? Ouija board. They used automatic writing, dowsing rods, all these different. You know, the 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 technology was a little bit different in the seventies for what we used for ghost hunting then. But they used all the tools that they had available to them and communicated with this spirit. So some of it could be was it their subconscious, like manipulating the Ouija board? Was it their subconscious manipulating the automatic? You know, was it all this stuff them wanting to communicate with this thing that they? they had uh, mm-hmm. concocted yeah. or was it more the fact that everybody focusing their consciousness on the creation of this had gone there and created it there have been a number of mass consciousness experiments supposedly that have worked so like usually what will happen is like there'll be a natural disaster you know mm-hmm. a hurricane coming toward uh, Bermuda and then you'll you'll have somebody that will lead a mass consciousness experiment. You'll get 10,000 people that will all focus on trying to move that hurricane. Next thing you know, the weather report says, well, it looks like the hurricane's veering off to the east. So is it coincidence or is it right. the fact that they actually did focus enough to be able to ma- manipulate it? That's really interesting. So do you, do you believe in Ouija boards? Uh, I do. Only because, because I think those are kind of like crocs of shit. I thought the same for a long time. Um, it was when I used it with a blind woman, uh, mm-hmm. and I knew I wasn't moving it. So, and she couldn't see, so it's not her moving it, but we're getting stuff that's spelled out. Uh, it was at Edaville, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking to the founder of Edaville, Ellis Atwood, through the Ouija board, and he was giving us all kinds of answers. And, and, and I, like I said, I know she couldn't do it, and I, I know I wasn't consciously moving it. So that led me to believe that either that energy that's out there can manipulate that or it's some sort of subconscious thing that I can't be cognizantly aware of, but it's still happening, which I don't think is disappointing because that's just still kind of cool. It's the same thing that I'm talking about with being able to manipulate these other things. Why does that game work? Why does it work? Yeah. Like what is the secret behind it? I don't. I don't think there's a. It's just a magnifying glass on a board. It's not even a magnifying glass. It's just a. Well, whatever. It, it's you just a little I mean? sliding yeah. piece of wood. Um, so these have been around for a long time. Talking <laughs> boards have been around for forever. 
uh, for thousands of years. The Ouija board itself only came about during the spiritualist era. I think it was 1893 or two mm-hmm. um, that those really came out and became a, a, a big time uh, thing. But they weren't. First of all, they were never evil until The Exorcist came out. <laughs> okay. Before that, almost every house would have a Ouija board in it, especially during Victorian times, because when a man and a woman or you know a young man and a young woman were dating mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to hold hands they weren't allowed to sit next to each other on the couch they weren't allowed to to touch at all and it was improper but if you brought out the Ouija board then the two of you sat around this small table your hands would be on top of each other on top of the planchette your knees would be touching underneath the table and it was kind of like a way to get a little bit you know frisky uh, and have it be <laughs> wow. accepted by society the so Ouija ghost is a good wingman for you yeah, yeah help, help people get it, laid. Was, yeah. it was it was like it was paranormal tinder so <laughs> I always say that like the the, the Ouija board you know was a, a staple for every household because of that. And like most most people that grew up in the 50s and 60s, it's like, oh yeah, we had one of those in our closet. We played with it sometimes. And then The Exorcist comes out. The Exorcist mentions a, a Ouija board uh, as being how Captain Howdy comes through to Reagan. And next thing you know, Ouija boards are the, the, the tool of the devil. Are mm-hmm. there ghosts in this, the WBSM studio? There are. Because I just, because you know, I just had a moment where I looked into the newsroom. I saw the, he- the headphones that are hanging there. I'm like, are those eyes? And it's just, this kind of stuff, man, really messes with so my head. So the ghosts that we have here, we have a couple because we we've had some people who have passed away here that that worked here. So we think some of them are hanging around, which is a good thing. But there are other. There's another entity here. Uh, the old kitchen that we used to have, I would we had cabinets on the wall on the side where the sink is now, and I would walk to the bathroom. This I'd be here alone. So the, the cabinets would be closed, and I would come out of the bathroom, and all the cabinets would be open. And then uh, this room behind us, the light is out right now in the dubbing studio, but it has a motion sensor light, which just so happens right now the bulb's burnt out. But I would sit here on Saturday nights when I was alone, or sometimes, you know, Stephanie will be here with me. We'll be here late talking after the show, and she'll see it. We'll watch as this black figure will walk by the, the glass of the studio door and then walk into the dubbing studio, and the light... The motion sensor light will come on, but there'll be nobody in there. God damn. Oh, man, that freaks me. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This, so this is how, do, how do we know yeah, we're no, in no, the no, presence no. of ghosts? So there's... Um, I didn't ask this question, man. It's <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> there's some ways to detect it. Uh, but the lights but basically, we have to make a lot of leaps in logic. So is it like to. the co- like temperature gets cold? So, you get goosebumps? Right. Hair and there's a neck. There's a reason for that. Uh, and uh, kind of a pseudoscientific explanation for all of it. So, again, we have to kind of assume that we know what a ghost is and that a ghost is some sort of manipulation of energy. So if that's the case, then what happens is when a ghost is manifesting, you have what's called an endothermic reaction. So it's drawing in the energy of the atmosphere to be able to manifest. It doesn't have enough energy to, to make itself visible or to knock over this camera or to you know make a sound or whatever. So it draws in the energy of the atmosphere. So as it draws in that energy, it's drawing in that heat energy, which creates a cold spot. Mm-hmm. And as that energy is being drawn in and being uh, consolidated into one area, it, it cr- causes the electromagnetic field to spike. So you're getting the cold spot that's being drawn in. That's going to give you goosebumps. You're getting the electromagnetic field going up around you. That's going to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. 
that's going to give you a creepy feeling. It's going to make you feel like you're being touched or apprehensive or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then the ghost will manifest. It will do whatever it does. Then you'll have what's called the endotherm. No, endothermic is where it's bringing it in. Exothermic is where it releases that energy. And then you'll feel the temperature go back to normal. The EMF will drop down. So what we do is when we're trying to determine if there is a spirit present, we have, you know, people say, what's the best piece of ghost hunting equipment that you have? None of it. None of it actually detects ghosts. It's all stuff that's used for other purposes that we're applying to this theory. Mm -hmm. So we'll have thermometers that will measure the atmosphere, uh, the atmospheric temperature. We will have uh, EMF detectors that will measure the electromagnetic field. So we're we're looking for these fluctuations and manipulations combined with other experiences to say we think that that's the spirit manifesting. Okay. I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. I, I like that a lot. It does. doesn't mean I like hearing it, though. <laughs> Is there, are there any other generic questions you want to get uh, a, uh, out there, of the way for you? The, yes, there were... I don't even know if I want to ask that freaking Urban Legends questions anymore. Um, cause I, cause I you, you know what urban legend I'm going to tell. You're going to tell the same one that I already know? I think it's probably the best urban legend of our area. It's a really good one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i never forgotten it, so you can tell it. It's still going to give me... It's, I'm still going to have a tough time driving home. Is this the red-headed, uh, the red-headed hitchhiker? hitchhiker? Yeah. Yeah. But if you guys both know it... I yeah, mean, we, don't good. we don't have to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, is there a place for you that's just too terrifying to visit? Off-limits. In terms of paranormal activity, no. In terms of safety for myself, there's probably places that I wouldn't want oh, to Oh, really? Yeah. Safety as far as... Physical like, safety. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the places that we go to are deteriorated. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them are dangerous. They don't want us to go into a lot of these places. You know, urban exploring is a big thing right now. And there, there's a big crossover of the urban explorers and the paranormal researchers. And um, anybody that breaks into a place for paranormal research... Like get the hell out of the field because mm. you're just gonna give Giving everybody else a bad, a bad name. name. Yeah. yeah, there was uh, there used to be a school in Rhode Island called the Lad School, and uh, it's don't worry, it's torn down now. No, I think you told me about this. But the Lad School was an abandoned school, and people would break in there both for urban exploring and for paranormal research because it, it was severely haunted. And some kids broke in, like 16, 17 year old kids. They broke in one night to to try and go ghost hunting. And one of the kids actually spilled some acid from a classroom on his pants. Oh, my God. And basically burned his junk off. Oh, my God. And so he's tried to sue the state of Rhode Island for having this chemical laying around. And, and so the lawsuit ended up getting thrown out. But it wasn't a slam dunk that the lawsuit was going to get tossed out. So it's things like that that will give people that do what I do a bad name. That's why we always make sure that we get permission. There's a cemetery a few miles from here. Uh, in Mattapoisett called the Ellis Bowl Cemetery. It's on Wolf Island Road in Mattapoisett. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, actually. And you'll see it all over the internet in that Only in Your State website. Mm -hmm. Like they, they love to talk about this, this most haunted road in Massachusetts. And the urban legend of that is that there was a, a Mustang full of kids in the 60s or 70s that was driving down that road and slammed into a tree. And they all died. And that if you drive down that road... And if you stop in front of the cemetery by the tree oh, God damn. and just leave your car there and turn your car off, you'll see headlights coming up behind you and the car won't slow down. It, it, it looks like it's going to hit you. And then right at the last minute, it disappears. Now, so I've driven down that road. I had a friend from high school who lived right around that. And I know the Wolf Island, like 
she lived a left off of that road or something. You drive right by the um, uh, cemetery there. Mm-hmm. And she would always told me, like, you hold your breath every time you go by there. Some, some people yeah. think you're supposed to hold your breath when you go by a cemetery anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the thing is, what's funny about that God, is that, stories. but hold on, hold on, because that urban legend, first of all, there's no truth to that that we can find. There's no story of there actually being a car full of kids <laughs> that ran into that tree. That's but good. there is a tree there that if you're going too fast and not paying attention, you will ram into. Uh, so this is a case where a lot of times what these urban legends come from is that they're actually, you know, they're parables that have a lesson that tell us like, okay, that story exists so that kids will be too scared to speed down right. that road and slam into that tree. Mm. So they do have a place and, and, and not every one of them has to be something that comes from truth. Now, why are places like uh, old hospitals or quote unquote insane asylums or cemetery you know why are certain places more paranormal hotbeds than others because of the energy that's expended in them uh you know we talked about the stone tape theory earlier a lot Mm -hmm. of those places have those right factors uh to to record and amplify that energy but also the energy that's expended in those places is so great it's what's called the psychological imprint um if you've ever walked into a room after two people have been arguing and nobody's saying anything, but you can feel the tension in the air. Yeah, that's a psychological imprint, and normally that will go away after mm-hmm. a few minutes. But some of these places, those imprints are so strong they stick around forever. So you're going to have places that are basically stained by the things that have happened inside of them. And what's funny is, you know, hospitals. People associate hospitals with death, and they think that there's going to be a lot of death and, and and terrible moments that have happened in them. But there's also been a lot of positive things, there's right? Been births. Yeah. There's been people who have been healed. People who have you know, maybe undergone miraculous healings. Uh, so there's a lot of good energy that can be uh, in a lot of these buildings, too. The problem is, I think the negative is the low-hanging fruit. Always with everything. Yeah. So, so the negative, and yeah, it's just easy, and it appeals to our baser nature. We're, we're, mm. we're not, we're savage by nature. We're right. not enlightened beings. And, mm. and the blame and shame media of 2018, <laughs> 2019, you know, just can't go. Yeah. Top happy spot. Yeah. <laughs> so the, but the, the idea is that, when you go to a place, you know, you're usually looking for the worst possible thing that's happened there than, than the best thing. And so that's kind of what just feeds into people as they as they go through. Sure. It. Okay. All right. Nick, any uh any I, last licks here? Mm, no, nah, I think this I think we should go to the the uh, other the specific sites that we wanted to ask him about. Lizzie Borden House, Fall River. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have to be very um familiar with it, right? I'm sure you've done some work with the Fall River House. About, probably about two dozen investigations there over the years. Okay. What makes this so uh, memorable, historical? Well, I, I mean, do we need to give people a breakdown of the Lizzie Borden well, story? Well, you know, I, I think I just think... putting it out there, she allegedly murdered her father and her stepmother with an axe, if right. I'm uh, not mistaken. Somebody somebody did it. Yeah. And most likely She was acquitted. Axe. Not not definitely proven. Yeah. yeah that Lizzie... was just the thing of Fall Rivers, I mean, forever. I remember in Fall River Dreams reading, that was, uh, who wrote that book? Uh, it was Bill, uh, Bill Reynolds. Bill Reynolds. Bill, Reynolds. Yeah. So Bill Reynolds wrote that book, and he's, uh, it was about Chris Heron and all that stuff. And forever, forever was most known for her, and then mm-hmm. it became him. But it's like, you know, right. that's and now, now Jaisal Correa is going to overshadow. Oh him. my <laughs> right. god, that's a great point. Yeah, jeez. But the the idea with the Lizzie Borden murders, uh, she was the only person that was ever brought to trial for it. She was acquitted, I think, after a thirteen day trial. Uh, the idea of there being hauntings there. I think part of it might go to what I was talking about, about how we create our own ghosts. 
Right, because like people have said they've heard Abby and Andrew Borden. Yes. Some people claim to hear Lizzie, but did she die in the house? Like, would, she I, did not. I have captured her voice, and what we believe is her voice in the house. Um, we actually have an EVP that our oh. friend Luann Jolly of Wailing City Ghost captured with us where uh, we're just talking in a room and you hear a female voice in the background say, but I'm a good daughter, with like a Victorian accent to it. Uh, oh, but wow, it's really creepy. I'll play. I'll play you some of these later, Nick. If you want. No. <laughs> I can play you when it called me. There's a reason he's it asking called me an questions. asshole. It told me to go f myself. Really? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, oh. so the the idea is after the first of all, the the board murders weren't the only murders that happened on that property. Oh, okay. They weren't the first. And uh, originally, we'll talk about this like with the Bridgewater Triangle. But originally. That area was all part of the Freetown State Forest. Right. And mm-hmm. the Native Americans would not go to that area, which is funny because you would think right by the river, that would be a, a prime hunting area, fishing, right. whatever. The natives would not venture into that area because they felt like it was dark and it was cursed and then they, they couldn't go into that area. Fall River was. Yes. <laughs> which we'll explains try. a lot. Yeah. We'll try. It's uh, make it here. That's yeah. the new. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. A lot of people don't realize this either, but uh, Fall River actually had a different name for a while. It went by the name of Troy. For a long time, and really? then they, oh, then they really? went back to Fall River, yeah. Troy would so, have been so much cooler. That's why, like, you'll hear people say, like, Troy City this, Troy City that. That's why, because huh. Fall River was Troy for a while. Hmm. But anyway, uh, so the, the the Borden case, there was another house on the property that was next door to the house. So if you see the Borden house now, there's a building next door that is a uh, barber shop and an apartment <laughs> building. That used There used to be a house there, and that was owned by one of Andrew Borden's relatives. And years before, probably about 10 years, I think, I'm not sure the exact date, but before the Borden murders, she went crazy and she killed two of her three children by drowning them in a, in a cistern and then went up into the top floor of her house and slit her throat. Oh, my God. Sounds and, like the, the Shutter Island. So those, yeah. the spirits of those kids are said to haunt the Borden house. There was a, a man after the Borden murders happened for a brief time. It was a boarding house. And the the second street house was a boarding house, uh, boarding house. And there's a, a story about how there was a guy running from the police and he ran into the basement to try to hide from the police. And the police went down there and they shot him in the basement of the house. He so also is haunting. That supposedly he yeah. might be there. So there's there's other spirits associated with it. But from the, after the Borden murders, for a long time, the house was owned by the McGinn family. Mm-hmm. And the McGinn's actually left the house to their granddaughter, Martha. Martha is the one who opened it as a bed and breakfast. So before that, in 1996, it had been a private residence, and the McGinns never reported anything paranormal happening there. But when it opens up as a bed and breakfast, and everybody's coming in and talking about the murders and all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden, the place becomes haunted. Mm. So, you know, and I'm not saying it's not haunted. I've, I've had pl- plenty of stuff go on there that well, I know Well, just because they've activity. reported that, though, yeah, what does that mean? I'm just saying, it, it, it doesn't yeah. mean that it wasn't there, right. and that it just didn't bother them, or that they didn't notice it, but... I'm just saying that there's the possibility that a lot of the... Because you walk into a place and you say, wow, if any place would be haunted, it would be this place. Mm-hmm. And if enough people go in there and think that, it's going to become haunted. Right. Would okay. you stay there for the night, Wes? Yeah, I would. Oh. Yeah. Not by myself. Maybe, you know, I've been there. a couple people. I've never okay. slept there, the but I've, I've been alone in the house by myself. You have? Yeah. Oh. And, and, and so what's funny is... Man. I've been... We were down. We were filming something there, and it was just uh, there was four or five of us, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And when we go there, you know, we would get the run of the place, and we would lock the doors, and and nobody else is around. And so we're in the basement filming something, and we heard what sounded like footsteps going across the kitchen floor. 
And all we're thinking is, oh, my God, somebody came in the house. We're going to get in trouble. So we go running upstairs, and there's nobody there. And then that same night, we were recording a podcast in the dining room. And as we were recording the podcast, we heard uh, a woman singing on the second floor. Mm-hmm. You go up there, there's nobody up there. But then you'll hear a baby crying on the third floor. You know, there's like all these different sounds and, and different activity that will happen. <sighs> I think the, the I'll tell this story because it's it's pretty funny. We went there oh, because... Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I think. No, of this, is, this is funny. <laughs> Hilarious. The crap myself. The the uh, owner of the house, Leanne, or the, the operator, uh, she will call us whenever there's anything really bad going on. She's used to it, but sometimes it gets overwhelming and she yeah. will call us. So she'd had a lot going on, so she had us come and check it out. And we didn't really find anything out of the ordinary, you know, the regular general activity we get from there. And at the end of the night, she would have us lock the door... Because she would be up in the the barn. There's an uh, an apartment and an office over the over the gift shop, where whoever's the caretaker for the night will stay. And so she was up there, and she was going to bed. So she left us with the key, and the procedure is we lock the door, then we put the key in the mail slot, and she has her own key to open up the door. So we lock the door, put it in the mail slot. We're walking to the car. She pops out in the window in the barn, and says, "You know how'd it go?" We're talking to her. She's like, "Hey, you left the third floor bathroom light on." I was like, "No, no, no, I didn't," because I go through that house. And make sure all the lights are off. And I know that I, I was turned it off because I'm terrified of the dark, or at least I used to be. Get so out. I was. You I was scared of the dark for a long time. Oh, that is so. That is the irony. So it's rich. Yeah. It's rich. The I was like, there's no way I left that light on. So she's like, well, I'm gonna turn it off. She comes down. She opens the door. Goes up to the third floor. Turns off the bathroom light. Comes down. Locks the door. As soon as she locks the door, a second floor bedroom light comes on. Uh-huh. So then she opens up the door, goes in there, turns off the second floor bedroom light, and third floor bedroom light comes on. And this goes on for a couple of minutes. <laughs> and finally, after a little while, no lights come on. We're standing out in the parking lot talking to her. Probably a good 10, 15 minutes. None of the other lights come on. We figure it's okay to leave. She goes up to go to bed, and we get in the car to leave. You know where the Lizzie Borden house is. We get to Whites of Westport, so we're about five minutes down the road. Yeah. My phone starts ringing. Like three thirty in the morning, I'm like, "What? Who's calling me?" And I look, and it's it's Leanne, and I pick up the phone, and I'm thinking maybe we left something behind or something, and uh, hello, and all she says is, "What the f did you do to my house?" <laughs> what do you mean? She's like, "I'm sitting here looking out the window, watching as every single light in the house is flashing on and off." Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's oh, not that's funny. Great. It's not a funny story. It is funny. It's not a very funny story. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Why would anybody put... Why would she want to do that? Why would she want to put herself in... Oh, my God, man. Not only does she own that one, they bought the other house that Lizzie Borden lived in after the murders. Dude, how do you do this when you were afraid of the dark before? That blows my mind. What are you afraid of when it comes to the dark? So, I had a problem when I was a kid uh, that's called night visitor syndrome, where I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would think somebody was in the house. Okay. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. That's a thing? It's like, like a syndrome? Yeah, well, it happens a lot. Of, it's associated that. a lot of times with sleep paralysis, Oh, uh, which oh, is a legitimate, oh, you know, legitimate yeah. scientific oh, phenomenon. Oh, it's a thing. I've but, had that before. That's friggin' terrifying. But sleep paralysis doesn't go on for, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes, and that's what I would be experiencing. Oh. I would I would just have this overwhelming sense that somebody was in the house. And uh, and it would go on and on. And and. Moniz thinks that it's because I was abducted by aliens or something as a kid. There was a few weird <laughs> things that happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, I won't go into them uh, now, but okay. there's the possibility, you know, in his eyes that that's what that was. I just think that it's just something that 
freaked me out. Maybe. So the dark freaked me out, and I didn't like being in the dark. And it was doing paranormal research that actually Helped you changed my mind about that. Now you can stick me in a basement of a house alone and... You know, I still get a little bit freaked out and apprehensive about it, but I don't I don't run. Gotcha. So let's switch locations. Uh, staying in Massachusetts, the Bridgewater Triangle, the aforementioned Bridgewater Triangle. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding, it was, uh, as you mentioned, parcel of land that was already considered to be cursed by natives anyway. Mm-hmm. But there was a Native American curse that was put on the area. Um, after a specific uh, wampum, wantum belt was so, taken and not returned during the King Philip's War? There's Yeah, there's a lot of theories about how the Bridgewater Triangle came to be. My theory is that it's always been. <coughs> that there's just what John Keel, who was a, a researcher of all things weird, he called these window areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's actually the guy that wrote the Mothman prophecies, if you're familiar with that yeah, movie. Yeah, sure. So... Um, he called them window areas, and I think the Bridgewater Triangle is one of those window areas. So it's always had this stuff happening. The Native Americans knew it. The Native Americans knew that the Freetown State Forest and the Hockenwalk Swamp, that these were places that were like the power cells for this mm-hmm. negative area. So they didn't go in those places. Uh, but what happened was the term Bridgewater Triangle originally was coined in the late 1970s by Lauren Coleman, who is a very noted uh, cryptozoologist. He runs the International Cryptozoology Museum in Maine. A lot of Bigfoot reports, a lot of Dover... He he, uh, investigated the Dover Demon. Um, But what happened was he coined that term in his research and then wrote about it in his 1983 book, Mysterious America. At the time, the Bermuda Triangle was very popular. Mm -hmm. So he thought Bridgewater Triangle sounded good. And he made the vertices East Bridgewater, West Bridgewater, and Bridgewater proper. He said those were the three points of the triangle. What happened is over the years... I was going to say, now I'm reading a 17-town, 200-square-mile area in southeastern Massachusetts. That's kind of the more modern definition. Uh, Aaron Kaju and Manny Familari put out a documentary. Mm -hmm. Uh, A great documentary. You can catch it on Amazon Prime. But that was um, kind of the definition that people were using at that time, where it had expanded out. Now, I, I mean, my definition is you have to take the triangle all the way into Rhode Island, it goes mm-hmm. all the way up to you know southern New Hampshire. It's this big area where there's a lot of concentrated reports. Not just ghosts, not just UFOs, not just Bigfoot, not just puckwudgies. Uh, there's all kinds of different stories and, and different types of phenomena that happen in a concentrated area. But the Bridgewater Triangle goes beyond just paranormal stuff, too. This area also has a lot of cult activity. Mm-hmm. It also has a lot of... Still? Uh, or I know in the past it did. The, the cult's still around. Just the people that got in trouble and got arrested were the low levels of the cult that were too stupid to stay out of plain sight. But there's higher... I've been warned about talking about the cult, and I won't talk about it usually on the radio. Because so what's the, can you say the name of it? It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't have a name. It's just the cult. Yeah, but the, the, the cult that exists around this area, there are people who are in power. Higher ups. Important people who are part of this cult. Right, listen wow. up. Listen up, cult people. I'm cool. Just like... Please. Yeah, it's all cool, right? It's yeah, all, but it's we're, all we're cool, not looking into any to, of it. To go to the wampum belt point, mm-hmm. uh, one of the theories about the origin of the Bridgewater Triangle is that it came about from King Philip's War, mm-hmm. which was a war between the colonists and the Wampanoags. Uh, basically, what happened was, you know, everybody knows Massasoit, the story of Massasoit, the great sachem of the Wampanoags, and how he helped the Pilgrims. Well, his when he died, his son Wamsutta took over, who the English called Alexander. And when he took over, something happened mm-hmm. where he died. 
The colonists claim that he caught the flu and died. Uh, he was in colonial um, uh, custody because they, they had arrested him for, for something. And they say that he caught the flu and died. His brother, Metacomet, or King Philip, because that's the English name for him was Philip, he thought that his brother was poisoned. So he was wondering about, you know, should I go to war with the colonists here? Should, should we retaliate? And what ended up happening is he was in Plymouth and he looked up in the sky and he saw a full lunar eclipse. And he took that as a sign. And then they ended up discovering the body of John Sassamon, who was one of the praying Indians, who were these natives that were converted to Christianity. Uh, his body was found under the ice at Assawamsett Pond in Lakeville. And all this confluence of events basically kicked off King Philip's War. And it was the bloodiest war per capita ever fought on American soil. More people, more more of the population died in that war than in the Civil War. And this whole area was one big battlefield. So when people say their houses were built on a Native American burial ground, this whole, like, area yeah, the whole area was, was a, yeah. So the idea was at the end of the war, they, they captured King Philip, they killed him, they cut his head off, and they stuck it on a pike in Plymouth Center, and it stayed there for 20 years. <laughs> but... Uh, and I think there was some talk about they sent his hands back to England. Uh, but also, when, when they captured Anawan at Anawan Rock, which is on Route 44 in Rehoboth, uh, when they captured Anawan, who mm -hmm. was his last surviving general, Anawan had in, in his is possession... Is that Profile Rock? No, it's a different rock. Okay. Uh, Anawan Rock is um, just where this battle ha happened. And people still report phantom fires and, and native drums and everything out there. But they captured Anawan, and he had in his possession the wampum belt. Now, people hear the term wampum, and they think that that's Indian money, mm -hmm. but it's not. Wampum was the, the beads, and, and it was the beads that they used to tell their story. So the wampum belt was the, the history of the Wampanoag people told through the beadwork. And so when the English captured Anawan, they took the wampum belt. Nobody knows what happened to it after that. There's some theories that it got sent to England and that it might have been in the private collection of somebody or mm -hmm. it might have been sent to a museum or it's sitting in this, you know, some back corner somewhere. Uh, the most prevailing theory is that it actually got broken up and divided amongst the, the uh, colonial army. So either way, this wampum belt disappeared. And people think that the, the Bridgewater Triangle is a curse from the Wampanoags that will only be lifted when the Wampanoag people yep. get their wampum belt back. So at, at this profile rock that I mentioned, this is this where I was looking on Wikipedia, my source of all hmm. things information. Uh, it says this is the supposed site of where Wampanoag historical figure uh, Anawan received the lost wampum belt from King Philip. And legend has it the, the ghost of the man can be seen sitting on the rocks with his legs crossed and his arms outstretched, like waiting for I, it. I don't know if that's historically true. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Profile Rock was an important spot to the Wampanoags. <coughs> First of all, the reason why it's called Profile Rock uh, is because they thought the profile of Massasoit was in the rock. It was a natural formation, but they thought that it looked like Massasoit. It's actually the formal name of it is was called Joshua's Mountain, mm -hmm. just because the man who lived on the property, his name was Joshua, and so that was his mountain. But um, in the days of King Philip's War, they actually used that as a, a lookout spot because they could look across and see Mount Hope in Rhode Island, which is where King Philip sat on his throne. Mm -hmm. So they would relay smoke messages back and forth between the two. And Profile Rock had a very important uh, part in the Native American lore. Now, over the last couple of, you know, it happened a couple of months ago, the, the profile, the face has completely fallen off. Mm -hmm. 
So there is no more profile rock. Really? And so we're wondering. It's like the man of the mountain in New Hampshire, right? Right. Yeah. So now we're thinking that maybe this might be stirring up some of this activity that's happening now. Why is there more activity that's happening as of recent? Things have kind of kicked up and. And basically, like one of the one of the basic rules is, if you live in a haunted house and you do construction, that's going to draw out the spirits because Makes they sense. don't like the change. Mm-hmm. Right. And so maybe the same thing's happening with with Profile Rock, where now that the face has fallen, the spirits are kind of angry about that. God, yeah, does Hockamock Swamp literally literally mean the place where spirits dwell? Nobody's exactly sure of the translation. Um, also, you know, Hockamock, some people said Hockamock is the Wampanoag word for devil, mm-hmm. but nobody's really sure exactly what it means, um, but we do know that the Native Americans didn't go there. Right, okay. And I'm, I'm interested to see what happens when they build the the uh, South Coast Rail with the electric route, because that's supposed to go right through the Hockamock Swamp. Like, oh. people are going to be, like, commuting home from Boston and look out the window and like, oh, look, Bigfoot. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll uproot a whole lot of stuff. Okay, Solitude Stone. What does that mean to you? I, I don't know much about that. I don't. I saw that in your notes. I'd never heard of it. So from what I've read, or on Wikipedia again, uh, it is an inscribed stone located in West Bridgewater, which was found near a missing person's body. It's also known as Suicide Stone. It was found with the inscription, uh, All ye who in future days walk by Nuncatesset Stream, Love not him who hummed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed. Now, I don't know. That's a lot to inscribe on a rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means at all. But that So you're you're not familiar with it. I'm that. not familiar with it. I'll, I'll have to look into it and see if okay. I can find it. But there's a lot of stone sites around New England that have that have uh, uh, legends and, and reverence to them. Uh, we have America Stonehenge in Salem, New Hampshire, which mm-hmm. some people think was built in the 1950s. Uh, but we have a lot of rocks around here. Um, there is Pulpit Rock in Bridgewater in uh, in War Memorial Park where uh, Reverend Keith gave his first sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to have some sort of a power to it. And, and a lot of this kind of makes sense because those rocks have <laughs> quartz in them, and that quartz is going to hold energy. And so it doesn't surprise me that these rock sites are said to have... Okay, so that, that seems to be the big... Okay. I mean, you know the most away. you know the most haunted rock site in all of all of the Bridgewater Triangle? No. The Asonet Ledge. Oh, no. What, what is that? Ever, have you ever been out there? Mm-mm. So if you go into the Freetown State Forest, there's a ledge, and uh, it's about a... I think it's like 80 feet high or something like that. And the story... And it's, it's um, Copacut Road. You know, I'm sure you've probably been on Copacat Road in Fall River. If you drive into the into the Freetown State Forest, it takes you right to the ledge. And the legend is that there was a Native American princess who was in love with an English colonist, and her father, the chief, would not allow her to. Is uh, it Pocahontas? It's not Pocahontas. No, but similar, <laughs> it's like the Disney version story. Yeah. Her father would not allow them to be together. So distraught, she threw herself from this ledge and killed herself. Oh. And now people will report seeing the Lady of the Ledge. They'll see this figure dressed all in white that will be seen roaming around the top of the ledge. What's interesting about this is there's been a lot of suicides up there. Obviously, you know, it's a place people would jump from. But people who are of perfectly sound mind will say that when they're standing at the edge of the the ledge. They get thoughts. They'll have this overwhelming feeling of jump, you know. And uh, and I've, I've been there myself and had it happen. I know plenty of people that have had it happen. Uh, what's funny is we told this story. Uh, to we did a presentation for the Freetown Historical Society, and we told that story there. 
And a guy stood up from the back of the room and said, you know, that's a great story except for one problem. That actually was built in the early 1900s. That's a quarry that was dug out in the early 1900s. So there wouldn't have been a ledge there when there was Native Americans out there. It probably was more of a, 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 a graded hill. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, you know, that's you know very interesting that you would say that, but still we get reports of people that have encountered this spirit. So did we create that ghost ourselves by telling the story over and hmm. over again? There's something. There's a movie called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No, never heard of it. So in that movie, John Wayne is a, is a gunfighter who lives in this town. Jimmy Stewart plays a lawyer. Uh, from you know an east 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 coast tenderfoot who comes to this town to be the lawyer, and he runs afoul of the outlaw Liberty Valance, and what ends up happening is John Wayne kills Liberty Valance, but everybody in the town thinks that it was Jimmy Stewart that did it, so Jimmy Stewart is hailed as a hero for like twenty years, and so it gets to be like toward the end of his life when he's telling a newspaper man the real story of what happened. And he's telling all about how, you know, he it was really John Wayne that did everything. And, you know, I don't deserve any of this credit. And at the end of the discussion, the newspaper man gets up and he closes his notebook and he goes to leave. And Jimmy Stewart says, well, are you going to print the real story? And the newspaper editor turns around, looks at him and says, when the legend becomes fact, you print the legend. <laughs> and so that's what I think happens with a lot of the stuff in Paranormal. I call it the Liberty Valance effect. Yeah. The legend becomes fact. We print the legend. The legend overtakes the actual facts of the story. Mm-hmm. And the legend becomes real by enough people. To, there's a difference between paranormal investigation where you're pulling out devices and trying to, to quantify and qualify what's going on and what we call legend tripping which is where you're just going out there and trying to have an experience. Mm-hmm. Just trying to go out there and become and, and, and have something happen, and, and that makes you part of the story. You become part of the legend by doing that. Screw the analytics. Yeah, manalytics is what it comes down to, mm. right? One last thing before we get out of here. If I, can I give you 10 minutes to talk about the Amityville Horror House? Is that You said horror house, right? Yeah. I wasn't sure. He did, not say, he did not say horror house. Oh, okay. horror house. Uh, I see what you did there, yeah. So the Amityville case is one that I have been obsessed with my entire life. I saw the movie. Actually, I, I read read the book as a young kid, mm-hmm. probably way too early, and I saw the movie way too early. But I came up, I became obsessed with it because it's 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 real. Is, it's you know based on a true story mm-hmm. out of New York, and uh, and and the story goes. Well, first of all, it's, there's a real murder that happened and is associated with it. Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot mm-hmm. and killed six members of his family on 112 Ocean Avenue, which was a large Dutch colonial house in Amityville, Long Island. He was convicted of a murder around a year later, 1975. Uh, in December of 75, the Lutz family moved in and twenty after 28 days of living there, left claiming to have been terrorized by paranormal phenomena while living there. So the Lutz family, it was George and Kathy... <laughs> And Kathy's three children from her previous marriage and their dog. And they all moved into that house. Now, if you've ever seen the house like online or seen like real photos of it, it's a it's a nice house. It's a nice house. Dutch colonial. It's a good house. They got it for eighty grand. Yeah. And they shouldn't have had to pay such a low thing, but you know, when something like that happens, you Who know, else is gonna buy the house? Right. Yeah. So they they were like, We don't care, like this is our dream house, we have to buy it. Um, and then what's funny about this is, is in reading this story, like I was a kid that moved around a lot. And so every time I moved into a house, I had to worry about, is there going to be something here? Hmm. Right. Especially where I was getting stuck in the most creepiest rooms. Cause I wanted to be like away from everybody else. And you and, already you know, had night paralysis. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this, have you had sleep paralysis before? No. It's awful. 
it's it's. I wouldn't. It's, it doesn't sound pleasant. It's not. It's. I mean, basically, it's just your your mind waking up before your body does. Our bodies yeah. are paralyzed yeah, while we're sleeping. And then you hallucinate. Right, but you're still in, you're still kind of in the dream state, yeah. So, so you kind of hallucinate, and it, I've had it happen twice, maybe three times. I know I can remember two times it's happened. It's freaking awful. Go ahead. The um, so I got obsessed with this case, and uh, I read you know I read the book numerous times, watched the movie tons of times, and it for some reason it just resonated with me. Well, when we started doing Spooky South Coast, I had the opportunity to start interviewing people associated with the case. So I started off talking to uh, Alexandra Holzer, who mm-hmm. is the daughter of Hans Holzer, who was the first real American ghost hunter, uh, and he was one of the people that investigated the Amityville house. So I, you know, she would talk to me about her dad's work and that. And then uh, Ryan Katzenbach, who made a documentary about the Amityville case. Uh, and then as I got deeper and deeper, I would talk to people more associated with it. Uh, Laura DiDio, who was the newspaper reporter who covered the Amityville hauntings for the newspaper. Um, I, you know, had the chance to interview her and then I got to interview one of the Lutz children, hmm. Christopher Lutz, the youngest. And I actually become friends with him and we're like, we've hung out at paranormal conferences and stuff. And like, you know, he's a perfectly normal, great guy, except when he starts talking about this stuff, like it gets really weird. Um, how so, uh, you know, he, it's almost like he becomes possessed by something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> His brother Danny, I've I've yeah. talked to Danny, but he won't come on the show. Uh, I've never talked to the sister, uh, Missy. Then the really weird part happened because there's a psychic named Jackie Barrett. And Jackie is a friend of my friend Chris Balzano, and so I became friends with Jackie through her. And Jackie is drawn to the darker stuff. Mm-hmm. Her mother was a, a very powerful medium working in New Orleans. Uh, so Jackie has been drawn toward toward the negative things. And somehow or another, she got hooked up with Ronnie DeFeo in jail. Like, Ronnie DeFeo asked to speak to her or she went to speak to her, whatever it was. But she became Ronnie's spiritual advisor. Mm-hmm. And she started telling Chris all about all this stuff. And Chris is like, there needs to be a book about this. And she's like, well, you write it. Bless you. And Chris said, uh, no, I don't think that I want to write that, but my friend Tim would love to because he's obsessed with Amityville. And we used to, every time we would say Amityville in the studio, by the way, stuff would go wrong technically. So we think we've avoided that, but just be aware of that. We've said it twice, three times now? Yeah, it used to be, we would say, like, don't say the A word. But uh, anyway, so Jackie would go and talk to, to Ronnie. Um, and I appreciate all the spirits leaving us alone. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I offered to write the book, and she said, well, I'll be in touch. And I never heard from her. And then it turns out she wrote it, and she said, I had to be the one. Once I started getting into the darker stuff with Ronnie, I, I couldn't let anybody else surround themselves with this because it's the darkness is going to overtake Consume them. you, yeah. So we had Jackie on the show to promote uh, the book and to talk about it with us. And she's always a trip because she's like total New York. She swears and stuff when she's not supposed to. She's hilarious, but she's she's just awesome. And she says to me, I have a message for you from Ronnie. And like my heart stopped and like went up into my throat. I was like, Ronnie DeFeo, the Amityville murderer, has a, he knows who I am? Hmm. He has a message. She's like, oh yeah, he knows who you are. He knows all about you. Oh boy. And I was like, well, what's the message? She said, he wants you to stop looking into this because it knows that you are 
it knows that you are. Whatever is there. Whatever. What is it? Whatever is the darkness in that house. Whatever it is that Ronnie claims overtook him that night. Yeah. You know, at first, you know, he said that he didn't do it. But now he tries to say that there was something in that house that overtook him and caused him to do what he did. And it's that same thing as what supposedly took over George Lutz uh, and, and, you know, freaked him out. And I always thought it was weird how they lived there for 28 days. Oh, that's convenient. They lived there right up until the first mortgage payment was due. Right. <laughs> because his business was hemorrhaging money by the time he moved in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he was, you know, depressed and, and, you know, weird things were happening just in their family life in general. And so I always thought that it was kind of convenient. But the more that I've talked to Jackie and the more that I've like looked into it from this, like there are places that can do that to you. There are places that when you go to them. Uh, like they, The Shining sort of thing or. Not even, but it doesn't even have to be that. Well, there's, mm-hmm. a new sh- there's a new movie around The Shining coming out too. Yeah, the sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, there's, it could be that, you know, you could just have a room in your house that when you sit in it, you don't feel right. You know, you could have, every time you have to go to visit a, a relative. You know, it could make you feel sick physically, and you don't mm-hmm. know why. Like, there are places that just have these effects on us, and it could be because, you know, the electromagnetic field is higher there, and that makes us, that gives us physical illness. Um, it, but there's there's just something darker about Amityville, and I've, I've always wanted to go and investigate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a few times when I've been told that I was going to get a chance, because it's been for sale a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, I looked into trying to buy it, Right, yep. Uh, I had a, an investor, well, somebody that was willing to listen if we could come up with a solid business plan for it. And my plan was, well, let's turn it into a bed and breakfast. I'll have the Lizzie Borden house. Uh, and what I discovered is that all the, they've changed the appearance of the house and the address so that people won't know where it is anymore, but everybody still knows. Right. But the neighbors. Isn't it like an association, like owned by an association? Yeah, it's now, like in like a little like neighborhood um it's not owned by the association, but they would buy it before mm-hmm. they would let somebody else buy it yeah. that would yeah. try and do anything Profit like what off we want of to it. do. Yeah. Plus, it's not zoned for it, and they won't give it the zoning. Yeah. So it turned into like a dead-end thing, but I've, I've always wanted to go and investigate there. And the last person that bought it, we were told it was a famous person associated with the paranormal hmm. that was planning to buy it and use it as a place to do research. And immediately... My first thought is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures because he's the only paranormal investigator that has that kind of money. Like, I, I know a lot of people in the paranormal world. Right, I know yeah. pretty much almost everybody. Mm-hmm. And I know what they make from television and all that kind of stuff. And the only one that has that kind of money is Zach because of the, the, the deal that he has with the Travel Channel. And he goes out and he buys haunted properties. And so I thought it was him, found out that it was not him, so had no idea. I guess I can talk about this now because nothing's come of it. But the supposedly now who it was that bought it was Vincent Price's daughter. Hmm. So the channels are open that we're supposed to maybe be able to get in there at some point. And even if I can't go in there and investigate, I just want to get in there and walk around. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's like it, it, it's like somebody who's During the a, daytime, I assume. I don't care. It's like somebody who's a Civil War buff that gets to go and step foot on Gettysburg for right. the first yeah, time. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, it's mm. like all this stuff that I've done, it finally comes to life and ha- and you know becomes real. That's what I'm looking for. Now, how long how much time passed from when you got that message from Jan? Was it what was Jack, it? Jackie? Jackie. Mm-hmm. Um from from Ronnie DeFeo to back off to when you picked it back up again. Like how much Uh I think that that probably happened oh maybe like 5 <coughs> or 6 years ago. 
and I haven't really like <coughs> delved back into Amityville that much since. So I don't think we've done an Amityville show since. Okay. Uh, part of it is because there's not a lot of new stuff to sure, talk about yeah. with it, but yeah. also part of it is like, you know, maybe maybe that's kind of run its course a little bit with us until something else happens. We will talk about it on the air, like if it's up for sale again. Yeah. But yeah, like yeah. we don't dedicate whole episodes to it anymore. Good idea. Okay. Well, I think we dedicated enough uh, oh, enough God. of this episode to that here. So, so Tim, we appreciate you taking month. the time out to uh, you know enlighten us a little bit on the. Um, Parallel universe, if you will. This is a I good idea. About it. This is a this is a good idea for this time of year, man. This is this what people like getting their freaking shit scared out of them. So Nick, uh, on a li- little bit of a lighter note, yeah. What's, what's been on your mind recently? Well, I went and saw Zombieland two, thinking you know we were going to review it. Totally had a brain fart in the course yeah. of all of it, but I very much enjoyed it. We're not going to end up reviewing it, right? Because we always we do at the latest two weeks afterwards. Yeah, we got the candy episode the next candy episode. episode. We, I need that desperately after this. I need the can- I need, something. Yeah, some candy. I need something light, man. We've done the Joker. Now this. I need something light. I need something fun. <laughs> but anyways, um, I thought it was a. Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good a good comedy sequel. I know that's not always easy. It's I'd, tough. Yeah, I'd probably give it something like. Um, I mean, it's a comedy, so I understand that when I give this grade, but probably like a 72 if I'm being objective. Okay. But like in terms of fun and everything, yeah, yeah, very much enjoyed myself. I just wanted a good popcorn movie. Yeah, I mean, in terms of all that, like it's it's right what you want to be. Okay. Absolutely, 100%. And also, preview for The Lighthouse. That movie looks messed up. Like oh, real... the light, is that with Robert Pattinson and uh, Willem Dafoe? Yeah, that yeah. looks... Ooh. It's supposed to be a dark comedy. Like, it's supposed to be a co- comedy Yeah, movie. I haven't seen anything about it yet. It's a, I haven't. I don't know where the comedy part comes from. It does not look comedic to me at all. I think it's supposed to be like a dark comedy. If it is, and that's amazing. It's, I've seen drama thriller right here. Okay. I could be. I could have misread yeah, that. I don't think... Yeah, I think, I think you might have misread it. It's supposed to be in New England. Yeah, too. Is it super nerdy that I want to see that movie that's uh, Tesla versus Edison? Oh no, I, I know I know that movie. Um, uh, I don't think it's nerdy though. The I think that's war? interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's I, I'm fascinated I, with that. Didn't didn't Tesla like steal everything? No, Edison stole from Tesla. Oh, okay, the other way around. All right, right. Well, this has been on. Oops, sorry. Uh, uh, I was going to say I have a Ouija board in my car that has Tesla on. Yeah, I'm going to play with it after set. the show. Uh, yep, yeah. Oh, you, I you, love it. Let's do it. Let's yeah. break it out. You guys can do that. I'm leaving. Uh, what else has been on your mind, Wes? Uh, versus Boston, we we went out there for a live podcast with uh, a couple. I don't know if we call them friends or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, a couple of our podcasting colleagues there were putting it on. Um, great concept. I loved it. It was the first time going to like a barcade style place. Awesome place. You could just sit at the bar and play FIFA with your buddy all day or just sitting like up on like a 50 inch TV. Or go and play the old school games too. I was a little disappointed with the lack of old school games, but again, I thought it was be like a bigger arcade style thing. There was probably about like ten games there. Uh, well, they had the two gun games that we played. Then they had Blitz. They had Street Fighter Two. I told Tim how you worked me on that one. Yeah. Mortal Kombat. Hand slap. They had. No, they definitely had more than ten games. But I mean, it's like I'm but splitting hairs. You know, you know what I mean? It's like not fifteen a lot. max. Yeah. yeah. I was expecting it to be like a full on arcade. You run around. Dave and oh, Buster style. Uh, that was my expectations, except the Xbox thing at the bar was. Yeah, I mean that that, that blew, was, blew it away. I wasn't ready for that. You could play Super Smash on there. Yep. You could play Madden. You could play Injustice or Marvel Capcom, like all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. love love that idea. Big fan of it. Yes, great spot. And next week uh, we'll be doing another Halloween adjacent Jeez. themed so much lighter too so much more kid friendly and you know people who don't like it and well, let's get let's talk this out right now so we're gonna be doing 
Okay. Like an auction style. I'm trying to remember the idea that we came up with here. It was the we can- bring the candy. in a bag of candy, and we pull out each individual assorted piece, you know, and then you have got, like an auction for it. I don't know if we would have the right assortment if we did that, though. I, I don't think there's any like ultimate assortment of candy. Well, what if I just buy like two or three? Do they sell those bags? Do they sell those bulk candy places? Because like, I think they, I think they'll have one oh, that's Billy, like Hershey's, Billy Boy. and another one that's like Mars. And if I bought those two, you're gonna buy the bags. Yeah, yeah, I but have to you're, buy then you're not getting anyway. you're not getting the weird candy the treaters. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't. I mean, I don't. You're in an apartment complex. I, I I would think they would have them though. Still, I think the kids would just stay in the building. But uh, maybe I don't know. I gotta I gotta look into that. Now if you, you do that, that though, you're not getting like the weird ones, like the Bitto honey. No, 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 no. And the Chinese fortune gum. The Necco waf- wafers, like the miniature ones. I don't think they make those anymore. The Necco right, closed gross. down. I mean, if we want to do that, that's if you that's what you want to do for the plan. I like that idea. I'm just trying to figure out how it is that we're supposed to, like, what's the next step? Because we, we talked about just then, ranking. Well, then them we're originally. drafting our best Halloween candies, and then we vote on who has the best assortment of Halloween candy. Is that what you were talking about when we did it last time? Because he liked your yeah, idea last time. I had a tough time wrapping my head around, it, and I can't remember it. That sounds like it might work. Okay. Yeah. We so, have a week to figure it out. Okay, so we'll probably do like three candies a piece or something like that, we think, or... Yeah, three or four. four. Yeah, depend. depend. Oh. But we can talk about all kinds of candies. Right. Well, yeah, it's, it's just the natural course of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, does that sound sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. Either way, it's going to be candy, it's going to be fun, and it's not going to scare me. I'll hopefully not be sleep deprived by then. 